1: 3CR Gardening Show is coming to you today from the Woi Wurrung Nation. We acknowledge the Wurundjeri people as the traditional practices of care and cultivation of the land and waters by the First Peoples and pay our respects to their elders past and present. Wherever you are and wherever you garden, we encourage
2: you to know whose land you're on. Good morning. This is the 3CR Garden Show. I hope... And can I ask, what are you hearing outside, Emmeline? Uh, I
0: think yeah. the radio is just
1: double playing.
2: It's double playing. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Sorry,
1: here's a bit of technical issues.
2: Well, we'll assume it has stopped double playing and it has gone to the garden show. And we'll say good morning, everybody. It's, I'm Virginia Hayward. And with these, me this morning is Emmeline Bowman, whose okay. voice you've ever, already heard, <laughs> Greg Boulderston and Craig. Craig Wilson. Good morning everybody. Good
3: morning. Morning, morning. <laughs> morning listeners.
2: Yeah. And a beautiful morning.
3: Mm. Uh, yeah, unbelievable.
1: Been, yeah, We've been very lucky. We're,
2: We're having the lucky. best of spring at the moment, aren't we? It's um, fun,
4: one of the best early. things getting up for the radio show too is to catch the sunrise, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which I caught just as I was leaving my front gate and there's a valley full of low-lying mist, and the sun's just poking up over the horizon just as I was leaving.
2: I get that often from, and up from my bedroom window, which is absolutely wonderful. Yeah, yeah. I love facing east in Melbourne. The I've seen effect.
1: your bedroom window. It's very nice.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and I think the thing that's been so lovely is that we haven't had a, a lot of heavy winds. We've had some. I've got branches down, but we haven't had a lot, and those still, clear, crisp mornings are... Yeah. Magic.
3: We, it's, it's it's a couple of years since we've had a real spring like this.
2: Mm, yeah. I suppose it is. Yeah. Yes. Oh, that's, that's an interesting thought because we well, yeah. have had a lot of rain over the last...
4: Yeah, we were just talking... I was talking to Craig outside that, yeah, the last couple of springs have been, um, I think, quite delightful, <laughs> but, but quite sort of wintry right up until we went into summer. So it sort of goes... The, the the spring was quite cold and wet and then it just went straight into summer fairly late um, and yeah so this year's uh, going into proper spring like it usually does mm-hmm. and um, yeah the sun's out and and uh, all the flowers are starting to do I, their thing
2: I am finding my gardens very early this year yeah
3: hmm. it's all over the place yeah yeah. I've
2: noticed that too. Yeah. All of our gardens,
1: everything. My dad's a farmer, and he's like, the seasons just come so early. So he's already like cutting hay, doing all these things that you do, you know, a Much month later. in advance. Yeah. Yeah. it's well, definitely early.
3: Yeah, yeah, all my magnolias flowered at once. Well, that never happens. It's normally yeah, a they're doing that at Forest Glade too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yep.
2: And the other thing I've noticed is I had um, a nest in my win- kitchen window last year, and they used it twice. So, I had two lots fledging, which was absolutely wonderful. But this year, they're not using it because it's in a vine and the leaves aren't out. They oh. aren't giving them the uh, privacy. Oh, so, uh. I've been getting the birds a lot earlier as well. And I've had a lot of New Hollands nesting. They nest quite low to the ground. And I'm um, gardening Australia are coming, so I thought, oh, I better weed. So, I'm weeding away. <laughs> and I lift up and I, oh, there's a nest. Down tools. Mm. Go and do it somewhere else. Yeah. Lift, lift something. Oh, another <laughs> nest. Down tools. So the weeds are all still there. Yeah. <laughs> Don't
3: That's worry, right. they this can morning, edit it out. <laughs> this morning I could hear the satin bowerbirds up in the trees, which is a sure mm. sign of spring. Mm. Oh yeah. It's the most beautiful call.
1: Yeah, and that like. That is beautiful, and then there's the weird hissing they do, which I never realized was from them.
3: Okay, I've never heard that one. Yeah,
1: I because I'm listening to sounds all the time, and all of a sudden I hear this <laughs> noise. <laughs> I'm like, What is this? And there's two females and a male, and they're all fighting. and made this really funny hissing noise. Okay, yeah, yeah and I
2: found out who it is. I think that's absolutely divine. I un- Whoa, ho, ho. <laughs> We've just had a slight crisis in that one of our mics has decided to dislodge itself. I was trying to I- adjust it, adjust it before, and well, I I don't have satin bowerbirds. I would love to have satin. Yeah, bower I birds. don't
4: think. Uh, yeah, we don't get them up at uh, up around my place either. But the the thrushes, the the grey thrushes, probably one of the better songbirds. And magpies are absolutely stunning, especially at night time. Oh yeah, and which birds? You go out in the middle of the night on, and you know it's a magpie night. It's like still really low wind, usually quite clear. And you just, you feel it. It's mm. like it's going to be a magpie night tonight. And then somewhere around one, 11, 1 o'clock in the morning or something, the... And on really still nights, you can hear them from kilometres away, like up to 15 or 20 magpies had a all singing I were going in the middle of the night. Yeah, yeah right. Yes. And they just warble for hours over the top of each other. It's the most beautiful thing. It is. A pl- um, when yeah. I
2: lived in England, if I watched an Australian movie and it had magpies on it, I'd get all teary Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love the sound of magpies yeah. coming back to
1: Australia. Yeah. But you've got a lot of little birds, Virginia, in your garden, and that's really important because magpies and all those larger species, they're more predatory animals. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And so you've got more biodiversity if you actually have smaller bird species. When I
2: moved in, I had no small birds, Mm. none. Mm. And I have got so many now. Oh, I know. Even the weebills. The (laughs) weebills nested over when I had an open garden three years ago. The weebills nested in the tree over the... Table mm. that everyone was sitting on, <laughs> just flitting in and out. It yeah. was absolutely extraordinary. We have weevils at our house, and they're just funny little things. They're, they're got gorgeous. So much personality. I find them so hard to see, except yeah. at breeding time when yeah. they seem to come a bit lower.
1: And do they tend to fight each other on your um, car mirrors?
2: <laughs> no, no. no.
1: Like, I've got one little boy, and he just. He thinks that the mirror of my car is him. Is, is <laughs> or, a, I mean, is another is rival an male? Yes. Yes. Is
4: it a flame robin that does that? <laughs> yeah. One of the jobs I was doing. And yeah. one of
2: the things I've got this year, for the first time in years and years, is sparrows. Mm, right. I've been. I haven't seen sparrows around my place for forever. But That's I've got good. sparrows.
3: Sparrows are in trouble internationally.
2: Aren't they have in definite yeah. trouble in Britain. No, it's very good to see them. Yeah,
3: that's right. Yeah, they are. And even if you go into Melbourne, you don't see them in the numbers you used to. Well,
2: when yeah. we were kids, well, not you, Craig, you being a kid in a different climate, but when we were kids, we used to have um, thrush. Mm. I haven't seen a thrush for years. Mm. The English thrush, not yeah. the Australian thrush. Yeah.
3: Yeah. We see them occasionally in the hills. Do you? Every mm. now and again, but not often. No blackbirds, so I don't have blackbirds and no, don't have Indian miners.
2: Yeah. I've got
1: both. Oh, you're lucky mm. not
3: to have Indian miners.
1: Yeah. I don't mind the blackbirds. I love blackbirds. I think blackbirds. they're funny. They kind well, of like, you catch them by surprise, and I always imagine that they're laughing, like, and they run. <laughs> they're like, not, oh, so, not so good you.
4: if you're a bob collector, because they yeah. pull out tags out of yeah. pots and scratch bulbs oh. out of the ground.
1: They are, they're very, yeah, they're, the, that's what I like them for, too. I think they're cheeky. I always like
4: <laughs> their... The Latin name was uh, is Turtus. I think it's Turtus muralis and because I always uh, you a turd. To, yeah, turds. I use slightly different uh,
3: language, but uh, yeah, it's meant the same thing, I guess. <laughs> In the evenings, I walk my dogs at Periander, and and coming up the hill for three nights last week, I was followed all the way up by a lyrebird.
2: Oh, oh, you wow. lucky thing. I stop,
3: it stops. Oh. I start walking, it starts walking. This is like 15 metres behind me. Mm. How and totally it, it, wonderful. Three three mornings. And it was just heading up at the same time that I was to its place where it's scratching.
2: How absolutely That's divine. Really, I would yeah. love that. That <laughs> is exciting. You always run away. I'm really jealous that yeah. I don't have
4: live beds I? Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I certainly don't have lie beds. No,
4: yeah, no
3: they're all around us. Uh,
4: The funniest ones at Forest Glade working, especially down towards the back of the garden, are the yellow robins and the scrub wrens, Mm. um, which seem to have a bit of uh, animosity towards each other. Mm -hmm. Um, So the scrub wrens are a little angry. I always think of them as angry birds because they've got their little furrowed brows down. (laughs) And they're always busy and they chit chat. And they sort of, if you make a sudden movement, they'll yell at you. They go. (laughs) And then the yellow robin will come in, so they're usually in a group and the yellow robin will come in by itself and if it sees a nice worm that it likes, it'll often grab a scrub wren by the tail and and drag it off (laughs) and shake it around. How fabulous. And if you sit still long enough, they'll come and they'll land on you, both of them will just, they'll land on you, especially the yellow robins, Um, they'll land on your hand, they'll land on your knee, they'll land on your feet.
2: Salvia Meg in Gruyere, she has got um, yellow robins that are just positively domesticated. Mm. Yeah. They adore her yeah. and they just because she disturbs worms and things. And, yeah. so they, and no, she's they, in they the They do. Garden. They follow you around. Yeah, if you're disturbing the, the
4: leaf litter, they'll follow you around. Mm. And if you stand still for more than about 10 seconds, they'll land on you. Mm. If, if you're in a good position for them to sweep down and pick something off the soil, they'll just, they'll you know, land on your hand or... Or your shoe, or the end of the shovel, or something like that, and oh. uh, yeah, it's it's they're they're quite delightful little birds to watch oh. interact well,
3: yeah. with each other. I have that at Acres kookaburras, they garden with me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and you turn around and you get a fright because they're sitting on the wheelbarrow handle, yeah. <laughs> right behind you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. throw me a worm. <laughs> yes, that's right. Poor worms.
1: Oh, yeah, I just feel sorry for them. Now,
2: for those who look at our website, Tim Sampson was coming in this morning from diggers, but unfortunately, he's got. A really bad cold so Tim I hope you're feeling okay. He was at the conference yesterday both both Craig and I and all the other um, presenters and quite a few of the other um, people who come in to deliver this show were at the, at a conference yesterday and online, online one at the moment we have Emma from that conference. Good morning Emma. Good morning, Virginia. Long time, no see? Yes, at least 24 hours.
5: <laughs> good morning, Craig. Hi, Thank Emma. You. Um, well, thanks. Thank you. It was a good look, night's I sleep, wanted... I
3: can assure you.
5: <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you needed a bit of rest for your voice ahead of this morning. But, um, yeah, Virginia, look, I just wanted to um, uh, call in to say on behalf of the... AGS Vic Group Committee, just a huge thank you to 3CR for, for your support. Um, it was, a, in our eyes, it was a, a great success. But um,
2: Can you just describe for listeners who weren't there what the conference was then?
5: Yeah, so look, it was, um, the title of the conference was The Collector's Garden. Um, so it was a, a single-day conference up in the um, in the Dadinong Ranges and we focused on, um, we had a morning session where we spoke, we had guest speakers including your lovely, our lovely Jane, uh, Craig and, uh, and Matt Reed from Antique Perennials um, that had... A, we had a sort of general panel discussion around tree-specific um, genera that were um, quite uh, prominent in their choice for, for woodland gems. Um, and then we had two sessions from our keynote speaker, who we brought all the way from the Royal Botanic Gardens in Edinburgh. So that was John Mitchell, and he was talking... Um, Emma, about crevice gardens and and uh, RBGE. Yeah, sorry, Virginia. I both? was going
2: to say that the Botanic Gardens in Edinburgh is considered to be one of the best Botanic Gardens in the world, along it, with it Melbourne. Is. In fact, it, it,
5: yes, it, yeah, it is, yeah.
2: and that really came special.
5: yesterday. Yes, yeah, yep. Yeah. And John was a very good presenter, very um, very well received, and uh, Scottish accent. We we managed to um, to. <laughs> To work, work with and um, it was a terrific, terrific morning. And um, we also had um, Russell Lark from our own botanic gardens at Cranbourne um, and he was speaking about Australian alpine treasures in, in the garden.
2: It was interesting around, how much yeah. easier the people at Cranbourne seem to find the our alpines than, the, than Edinburgh is finding some of the alpines that they're picking up from the Himalayas and the high bits yes. of China, etc., Because Russell was very much talking about how surprising it has been that he can um, propagate them successfully at Cranbourne. Because, Mm -hmm. of course, with ours, with climate change, they're at the limit. They can't go any higher. Mm -hmm. So it is very important what they're trying to do.
5: Yes, and I think John was explaining with the ex-situ conservation that they do from China and um, back to uh, to the RBGE in Edinburgh that... um, a lot of the treatment of the seeds and the phytosanitary requirements mean that um, it's a pretty challenging start for for a lot of those plants, which he he went through yesterday. Which I guess might explain some of the um,
2: you know challenges they the have. The difficulty, that, and also Edinburgh yeah. is so wet.
5: Yes, yeah. I mean, it really is wet. <laughs> exactly, A little, little bit different, but. Um, you know what I was intrigued
3: yeah, by Emma was the the um, GPS. Positioning of the plants, mm-hmm. so that when when yes. he goes up into the mountains and he finds something which he's unable to collect, then he records the GPS position so that people in the future can go and find this plant.
2: <laughs> yes, and yeah. and yeah. they they um have twinned with one of the botanic gardens in western China, and they send those in, when they're in China, they'll send those GPS references to them. Mm-hmm. So there's a very strong sense of sharing, which is also fabulous. Yeah, but I do find it. Ironic to see Britain at last introducing some sort of sanitary to what comes in. I mean, mm. they've plundered uh, botanically across the world and taken anything they like in. And you, you do have some extraordinary things around because of that. Some terrible weeds in well, Britain. Mm. As
3: I said to John, I mean, really, the horse has bolted, hasn't it, mm. <laughs> in the UK? Mm.
2: Well, they're losing all their ash trees at the moment. Yeah. Something that's come in, and and to stop that happening, they had to stop the nursery industry bringing in uh, uh, ash to use for propagation. Uh-huh. Um, and they and they just didn't do it. Uh-huh. Just didn't do it. And so now the ash are going from all their forests right across. I
1: Britain wish they'd
3: bring that here for the <laughs> ash. Yeah. <laughs>
1: It's that they're, they're being in Europe though and seeing you know how nurseries work. It is like that though. It's like you compare the standards here in Australia to Europe, yeah. and
2: there is no checking. It's just like bring it in. That's right. It's mm. crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And yet John was talking yesterday that even if we go to the Botanic Gardens, we have to go through a water bath. Hmm. Now we don't do that in any of our gardens. No. 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 But I do think you can be very pleased with yourself, Emma. It was a very successful conference.
5: Oh look, it, it was, and not, uh, not the least of so many people involved from from uh, 3CR. So we looked after AB. She won the raffle. Oh, did oh, that's oh. Good. she? Um, she <laughs> she took home a Miffy Gilbert uh, print, which we were very pleased to see. But um, and for me, I think I got I lost count at eight. Presenters and um, and uh, host of three CR. There may have been more,
2: but um, there was a lot. There was a lot of lot of this tribe there.
5: I'm sad. (laughs) I don't know
1: why I've missed this. Oh, I didn't even Emily. I don't know if I heard my head in the ground.
5: I think I did. I'm I'm very very sad right now. (laughs) (laughs) And um, Virginia, I also just wanted to say a highlight for me, um, and there were many, but was to see so many um, young up and coming. Autocultist in the in the audience and at the workshop, so we um I think we had over forty student scholarships. so mm-hmm. it was great to look out uh, into the audience and and see so many um enthusiastic faces. so it yeah, is it, it does feel
2: like there's a bit of a change. I mean this program has got yes. a lot more young, particularly women on it, mm. and yes. there was yes. there were I noted that the audience wasn't just full of old grey hairs like myself. In fact, a bit <laughs> thin on
3: the ground. <laughs>
2: Yeah, it's it's, yeah. it's a good way to go, isn't it?
5: It's Absolutely. Yeah, yeah.
2: That's exactly yeah. what we need. Yeah. Well, our, Emma,
5: grey hairs. were a little bit tired last night. I, I bet. We might have been in bed <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> very early, but uh, yeah, terrific. Thank you so much again, Virginia and and uh, and Craig. And uh, yeah, thank you for your support. Okay, Alan. Thank a you. Bye.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Well, that was it. Was an excellent conference, I thought, and it's hmm. um. It is so good, actually, to get together and share that sort of information. It is so rare to... A... The Botanic Gardens had a brilliant conference last year, but that was a big international conference. But it was also absolutely excellent. But there's not a, a lot of those events. So mm. go the Alpine Garden Society for doing it. I think it's a really...
3: Really down to Susan. Yeah. And She was the driving force behind it.
2: Well, it was an excellent thing to do. Did you Absolutely. Did you enjoy it?
3: I did, and I learned things, which is great. Yes. Yeah. That's yeah. the thing
2: that's important. Mm.
3: Yeah, that's right. And
2: yeah. I was thrilled that when we were doing alpines, we didn't just do... We did do the Australian alpines, mm-hmm. which is so important. Mm. Um, you know, yeah. the uh, Tex was there, mm. and, of course, they're, they're um, particularly looking after the two Australian rhododendrons, which come from the mm. high, high country behind Cairns and places like that. People don't even know we've got Australian rhododendrons.
1: Yeah, I've
2: got one. It hasn't flowered
1: yet. <laughs> I wonder it will. Will it? I don't know. Yes, but, it will. Yeah? <laughs> it's about this big, like 1.5 metres. Oh, it should be flowering. That's what fader. I don't... Feed oh. it. Have
3: you been <laughs> feeding it?
2: No. Yeah. But it's very healthy.
3: No, no, no. But you no. need to feed it.
2: Okay, then that's what it is. Yeah. One yep. of the things that came through that conference mm. was feed... I mean, Jane Tonkin... Feed," she'd said, and of course feed. Craig always says feed. Feed. So the two of them were saying feed. What would I feed this rhododendron?
3: Blood and bone. Just blood and bone. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and something liquid. Yeah. For for an instant hit. Yep. Yeah.
2: I'm going to do that right after the show. See, I yeah. don't, I don't tend to feed. I'm I think my terrible. soil and your soil will be probably similar to mine. I just think my soil is so rich. I think my soil is beautiful. I'm <laughs> working at the botanic gardens, one of the things, and this is something, Emmeline, you might relate to. Mm-hmm. Emmeline particularly works with water, mm. I say to our listeners. Oh. Mm-hmm. when I at, at the Botanic Gardens, we get um, all sorts of you know, green across the water every oh, yeah. hot summer. And, of course, one of the things is we get water in off the streets yep. because we're doing so much to try and we've cut water usage by nearly 50%, which mm-hmm. is extraordinary. That's amazing. And all those South Yarra mums are feeding their gardens furiously and it all goes out to the street and then it comes into the botanic gardens and they have to filter it
1: Mm. because there's
2: too much nutrient.
1: When you say it's green is it an algae or is it like a a floating? No it's 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 bad. It's a bad algae. Bad algae. I wonder
3: what fertilizers they're using.
1: It doesn't it it can be... If you, you just have a mix of it, as soon as you bring up your nitrates, okay, and so, something elated, like bang, yeah. yeah, yeah, and it can't compensate, and you have no plant life to filter it, yeah, and you don't have like if you think about normal systems how they can have a flush out with fresh yeah. water,
6: yeah,
1: you got to think of this as a closed system; it's not happening, so those levels just keep keep on happening until right. you flush out a system,
6: yeah,
1: or if those those minerals or I mean sorry those nutrients get eliminated through plants Uh Mm. it's not going to go anywhere it's like fish tanks you know I got it to a point where I have a fish tank for about nine months with just plants and I just have to fill the water up with uh you know for the evaporation but it gets to a point where there it's a closed system and if Mm. you can't actually eliminate it because it builds up too high you have to physically take it out streams Mm. rivers they flush that's why
2: you got rain and yeah And do you find that when you're creating water features?
1: Yes. So we do a lot of rehabilitation to, say, farm dams. Mm -hmm. And um, obviously farms, depending on what their application is onto their paddocks, if they're using fertilisers or something, you've got nutrient coming in. So we put in a lot of like filtering plant species. But, you know, you get to a point where, especially like with all our wet seasons the last couple of years, You've got a lot of surface water coming through so then you're getting a lot more nutrient level where lucky we don't really get too much algae anymore you do get a little bit of surface algae but things like azola and duckweed come in mm-hmm. and they're incredible filters they will filter a lot of your nitrates and things out of the water um so that is good it's a very good thing that's usually a an indicator plant too so if you look at that and you see them come out you're like oh there's something going on in there and, you know, it's all part of that little system. But algaes, yeah, if you get like your blue-green algae or that floating type of algae mm-hmm. that bubbles, it just it means there's nutrient coming in. There's a lot of sunlight. It's warm. And you don't have the plant life to be able to compensate for that nutrient life. It's so in balance. balance. You need a lot more plants. It yeah. is all
2: balanced. And, you know, systems of, do balance, but it
1: takes
3: and years. And, of
2: course, the water at the botanic gardens coming off the – some of it is coming off the street. It's yeah, dog
3: manure. Yes, it's so
2: there's, there's there's dog poo. There's McDonald's. Mm-hmm. And then there's fertilisers yeah. from all and the gardens. Bird too.
1: <laughs> it's everything. Mm. I was doing a talk um, about it to some students and, um, you know, I, I get a little bit of this thing where I'm like, well – waterways we shouldn't be building and we shouldn't have you know surfaces about 500 meters to a kilometer from any waterway because we need to let the land filter naturally Mm, our waterways are like they're the veins of all of our earth it's everything and every time we're putting all of that nutrient in it goes into your oceans Mm. and then the oceans are responding to that we we're doing a project um up in queensland and you know We've seen Queensland now, like we already knew that it was bad, sorry Queensland, but their environmental uh, policies and just everything that they do over there, there's there's nothing there. Their sugarcane fields, the amount of runoff that comes through, the cut forests. And I just imagine it like a wetland. You know, you've got this huge percentage of nutrients. You've got no filtration. Goes all into their river systems, and then right out into the ocean. You get all those algae blooms and nutrients for the Great Barrier Reef and everything. It's catastrophic. If yeah. anyone's and it's had losing
4: a... it from the farming land too. So it's absolutely it's, you're, you're taking it from one spot where you actually want it and yeah. dumping it out somewhere
3: where it's doing Precisely. huge amounts of damage as well. Yeah. yeah.
1: And they've lost their topsoil. They don't. Mm-hmm. It's it's a it's horrendous over there. So yeah. Yeah.
3: But even in Melbourne, I mean, the waterways, a lot of them are just drains.
1: They And that's how and it's...
3: it's outrageous. Eww.
1: That's the thing. We were working on this project, and it is essentially a drain. Yeah. And we had to get it through council. And they're very afraid because, you know, it could flood, you know. So they want it to act as a drain because they want the water to go out quick. But if you're working in this area, you know that water needs to be slowed down. That's it right. needs to be filtered. Yeah. But they're so terrified. Eww. And it ended up... They, couldn't, they didn't want to go ahead. The council were like, no, forget it. We're not doing it anymore. And now it's just going to be a big grassy Kaikuyu drain.
2: <laughs> and, of course, the sea is rising, yep. whether they like it or not. Mm-hmm. And we're, we are having very bad responses from councils who want to take an engineering response to and the fact that the ocean is rising across the whole world. Engineering is not going to save us. So that was the really...
1: So when we work on this project, they have this thing called the Mannings Value... And it's a engineering or it's a, a, a calculation that they make to be able to move water through very quickly. But they got us in to do um, habitat sort of restoration and filtration through waterways. But our when you go through the Manning's diagram and these roughness values, which is all this engineering terms, obviously it's not going to work because as soon as you put vegetation, you're causing, like, changes with the water. And that, the, the, the way this calculation works is to there's an X amount of water and has to go through and there can't be anything in the way. Mm. So it was like, as soon as you got us in, that calculation is out. Mm -hmm. But then this is what all the engineers work on for all their water systems. So that's why you see the monoculture of plants because they have to be 30 centimetres high and you can't have any vegetation and you lose all of
2: that natural response because of this thing. Hmm. When I was a child, I used to play on Gardner's Creek, which was absolutely... Absolutely beautiful this is on the other side of Kuyong tennis courts mm-hmm. and, and my brother and I used to go and we'd race bits of eucalypt down the creek and it was wonderful unsupervised mm-hmm. it was totally wonderful yeah now it's a drain mm. Mm. and it's been and Mooney Moone ponds and yeah
3: mm. a drain yeah, yeah. this there, this guy in Eden Monaro Peter Peter the regenerative farmer yes. I can't remember his surname yes but he's working on blocking all the creeks. Chucking logs in them anything that he can do to slow, slow it down. down yeah
1: which the logs and things are actually good for a lot of our fish species too
2: the reed warbler the reed um, warbler ooh. the
3: call of the reed That's warbler what's his
1: what's his name again? peter P- is it Pete? yeah yeah i haven't but read that book I've got you it. need to read it. i know yeah. it's yeah. sitting there with everything else yeah. Yeah. So
4: if it's a pretty heavy book
3: audiobook part of it which is what i did was i'm, much gonna, do
2: audio. <laughs> I'm gonna do audio yeah Was it good to audio? Yeah. Yeah, He even
3: plants willows, anything that he can do to slow the water Mm. down. And his farm is now covered in little springs. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And if you have a look at what they're doing along the Yarra, they're desperate to get rid of the willow. Okay, Mm. get rid of the willow. But because they have – labour is expensive, so they get rid of all the willow at Mm. once. Yeah.
4: And don't do any – they've got no plan – no. Afterwards, yeah. So then, as you say, that a flood it. comes through, everything moves through quickly, and then it's it rips all the banks Absolutely out. Absolutely shocking. Yeah.
1: They did that throughout Gippsland, too, was and through it?
4: central Victoria as yeah. well. There yeah. needs
1: to be succession planting, and you know, and the willow is better than
2: nothing.
4: You can't create yeah. a vacuum either in nature because if you just pull something out, even if it's not supposed to be there and don't have any plans of putting it back, you're going to cause as much damage as what the plants would cause Absolutely, and the causing, erosion,
1: so. and then you get the sediment in the mm. water and they change oh. the water quality. And it's fla- catastrophic. Yeah. Yeah. We have, I can say right now, we have a very, very uh, bad view of how we treat our waterways. We yeah. are not looking after them, and it's the new thing that we really need to go, wait, this is our water. We're going mm-hmm. on about, you know, climate change and... You know, trying to be green or whatever. We got to look at our water mm. and really mm. protect it and our waterways. We're not. It's a thing that they're just ignoring. Same thing as underground. They're doing things underground, and there's so much stuff that goes on where we can't see, mm. and we got to really watch it. Yeah.
3: You mean extracting water from
1: extracting water from the ground, even like un- when they're doing mining underground, all mm-hmm. those sort of things, like the hydrothermal vents that they're mining underneath the oceans. It's all. It's all these things that. If you can't see it, you don't know it. But mm. water is something that we can sort of see. We see the mm. health of our systems, and we really need to start to think about different processes to protect every waterway. I'm not talking about all your river. I'm talking about all these little creeks and things.
4: There's the aquifers too. That obviously we, you know, you we tap just... into a big aquifer and you go, "Oh, look at all this water." We'll just pump it. Well, yeah, you know, we'll let's grow cotton in a desert. Yeah, yes, um, exactly. And then those things take a long time to recharge because yes. they're yeah, the recharge areas.
2: Well, Peter uh, Andrews Peter Andrews natural Peter Andrews. sequence That's Family. It. Yeah. yeah our yeah. producer is onto it
3: oh great and and apparently um, the the great australian aquifer the one that, run that runs right down the other side of the divide is at the moment full mm First time for a long time. So leave it, leave it, leave it, it, alone. Alone. Leave it alone. It shouldn't that's be touched. Right. Yes. We
1: call it old but, water too. It's yeah. old water and new water. Mm. And the old it's, water it's shouldn't be touched.
3: It's unlikely that it'll be left alone. No, well, it's no. too important
2: for fracking.
1: That's yeah. that's, and mm. that is the thing. And people have to understand that these things have filled up over thousands, if not millions, of years. Yeah. There's a reason why you've got this pure water source in those systems. They leach through your the cavities through mm. the ground. There is more that they do. There's not enough research that's done. Same with our oceans. There's only not much research done and they can do whatever they want to it. Yeah. It's like, it's just getting to... It annoys me, as you can tell. <laughs> yeah. I really want to say, protect our waters
2: no matter where it is.
1: I and know,
3: look, jump on your soapbox. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: this is the 3CR Garden Show. I'm Virginia Hayward and you're listening to Emmeline Bowman, who's a landscape architect who particularly works with water... Greg Bolderston and Craig Wilson. I will actually tell you about our phone lines. If you wish to ring us, you can ring us on 9419 0155 or text us on 0488 809 855. And for the podcasters, 3cr.gardening at gmail.com. Now we have a message from Rosie in Mitcham. Re-magpies, in deference to my favourite bird, I've decided that the path through my front garden where I've dug up nearly all the lawn will remain a strip of lawn as magpies love lawn and paving or gravel and would be of no interest to them. Uh, such a wonderful bird, iconic Aussie sound and so intelligent, brilliant at urban, urbanising. I'm a cyclist and they give me hell, but I just love them. If you, if you wave an open hand above your head, they'll not attack. Go the pies. <laughs> Go the pies. I yes. can do a call like a
1: magpie. Can you? Does everyone want to hear it? Yes. Okay. <clears throat> <laughs> That's, That's astonishing.
2: <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> look at Virginia's face. I wish people could see that. <laughs> that is truly fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> truly fabulous. Yeah. I love my magpies and they, uh, they, they're nesting, but they know me. They're not going to bother yeah, me. Yeah, mine don't mm-hmm. bother me. No. Yeah. No.
4: It's, it's often a learnt behaviour, I think, from I've uh, got a being
2: currawong for the first time, mm. which I'm not happy about because I've got so many tiny birds. Yeah. Oh, but the,
3: the, the, the song... Yeah, they're, yes. they're it's so beautiful. beautiful too. That reminds Especially me of my childhood. In winter when it's misty, <laughs> it, it's just haunting. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
2: There's a lot
1: of currawongs that have moved into Melbourne and I heard from someone that the reason is they moved down after the fires that a lot of the habitat that they had... Hadn't been viable, so they'd been moving around a little bit more, which is why people are starting to see them.
2: One of the problems with them coming, of course, is that they use um, the nest boxes or not boxes, holes Mm. that the kookaburras use, and the kookaburras have been struggling for nesting spots. Yeah. Yeah. So if you've got some big trees, stick up a nesting box for a kookaburra. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I think we have to take our birds more seriously. Oh yeah. And our insects. People don't take people want to get rid of insects. Don't mm. get rid
1: of insects. Oh, insects are very important. Um I actually bought a book. In. Could I talk about the book, please? please <laughs> when we were about... talking about uh water quality before, we have indicator species and I brought in a book. Um it was really cool. It's called Dragonflies of Australia. So it's really nice to get Books that um, sort of are quite comprehensive, and what we don't realise is that a lot of the water bug species that you see in your water are actually the nymph stage before they become an adult, which could be dragonflies or certain types of beetles, damselflies, and things like that. Um, and it, I was actually, like I said previously, I was doing a talk. I'm talking about water quality. And a lot of the nymph stages of dragonflies and damselflies is an indicator species of good quality water. So you want to be looking for these species um, to tell, oh, yep, the water here is pretty clean. Um, I guess if I could liken it, they just look like little bugs with, I guess, like a big abdomen, but I can't explain it, actually. The damselfly larvae, uh, they just look like a normal beetle, but they have three little feathery tip ends. But when we look at water, you have things like bloodworm and Daphnia species. They're really good indicators of water. But if you find dragonfly larvae, um, catus bugs and things like that, that means you've got like top tier water. So, a lot of the time, when I'm looking at water quality, I do look at indicator bug species, and I don't know if you guys do that almost with soil, or if you're looking for certain insects on trees or things like yeah, that. Yeah,
4: you sort of, especially when I'm out in the forest up mm. at Mount Macedon, mm. you're searching everything. Yeah, for oh. those sorts of things, yeah. all those little details. That's what tells you where you know how the forest, what state the forest is in, and or a garden or whatever. There's. Um, I don't know that I consciously think about that stuff. Ah. It's just sort of something
1: that –
4: yeah, you just sort of see it and then go build a picture of how healthy something is. But
1: But that's great because that's observation. And I think as people understand their systems better and they can see the types of insects or animals that are in those systems, mm. we do need to have a little bit more like it's – when we think about our plants and our habitats and things like that, you kind of – it does become, about the plant – But if you start to take a broader perspective on things and see what uh, insects and animals are living in those environments, then you can tell the health of those systems Mm. as well, which I think for people, if they are really interested in environments and gardening, just to have a little bit of a dabble and and look around you and see what insects are there and start to apply that onto different systems. You will start to see like when something's not doing well, what type of species are there compared to what species Mm. are in a really healthy environment but yeah this book is wonderful it's called the complete field guide to dragonflies of australia by gunther thysching <laughs> and john hawken um, but uh, there's another book called the water bug book which also uh, talks about all these little water bug species which is also really important but yeah i i do look at water bugs in these water systems a lot
2: the damselflies, how deep do they like to have their eggs
1: They'll have them up to a meter deep, but even in the shallow waters as well. But the thing with damselflies and dragonflies is they are in their larvae stage for about three years, and a lot of people do, yeah. And so that's why last year there was this big hype about dragonflies because people were saying, "I'm seeing so many dragonflies." But the thing is, we've been having wet seasons for the last three years, so now you're seeing that flux of Mm. these species coming out. Um, they eat a lot of uh, mosquito larvae, so they're predatory, so they're very good for eating mosquitoes. Um, but um, it just shows you, and again, it's that, when I was talking more about flushing of water, we've had these wet seasons, we're having flushed water environments, the water's a bit cleaner, allowing these species to be able to breed and, and reproduce.
3: Last so. year at the Arboretum in Alinda, in the evening, there were just thousands of them. Mm. Quite high. Yeah. Yep. I guess they were hunting. It, but
2: They'd be hunting for mosquitoes.
3: Lots of yeah. them. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
2: And of course, one of the problems we've got this Bensdale ulcer, which has always been a problem around Point Lonsdale, but it's spreading. And I've met two people recently who've mm-hmm. had it. So, mm-hmm. it, it, which, even though I've spent my whole life going to Point Lonsdale, yeah, I haven't met many people who've had this Bensdale ulcer. Okay. But it's encouraging people to become neurotic sprayers.
1: Yes, and and yeah, that's and, not.
2: And this is another problem. Mm. Yeah,
1: and and it's the same thing like near Locksport where, um, so I grew up in in Gippsland and there's a place called Locksport which used to have terrible mosquito issues and they would spray this area with like insecticides. But what you're doing is you're actually removing everything. You're creating a if, vacuum again, which is filled right. by the worst stuff generally. Yeah. Yeah. So if you think about okay that's a quick fix it's not a fix it's a mask yeah what is it it's oh you've got stagnant water and maybe the health of that system isn't doing too well because the farmland around there is putting nutrient in Mm. there which is causing aloe blooms which is causing that stagnant water for mosquito larvae to grow but you don't get the um, you don't get the dragonfly larvae to you know start up and you get dragonflies and then you're going to get more mosquitoes whereas this response that we've had the last three years is our water systems have been getting more water. They're flushing out. The water quality got better. Yes, there's going to be more mosquitoes if there's water, if there's a lot of water. But, oh, no, the compensation is nature is, natu- is um, balancing and we've got dragonflies and now they're compensating
2: for them mm. and eating them and now you've got to balance you're not having as many mosquitoes. <laughs> my my dam last year, twice, I saw long-necked turtles laying eggs. Yeah, that's so cool. <laughs> I was so thrilled. Yeah. They're not, all they're, they're not native to the Yarra Valley, though, are they? No. Well, they is, weren't. I should they say they
1: weren't. Yeah. This is a. I know someone called Nick Cleman. He'll he'll tell you all about this. But um, no. That. But they're migratory. So you know, I always go under that notion of if they're migratory then they're they're walking on their own two feet or four feet. (laughs) Hmm. But, you know, we are losing a lot of our turtle species because of foxes. They will sniff out where they've laid their eggs. They ate one set of the eggs. I managed
2: to protect the second set.
1: Yeah, so that's amazing. So I don't mind that they're moving around. You know, it's it's good. We're losing them. I was
2: told, I don't know if it's true, but I was told that in the 50s they became very popular as pets. Yes. And then got let loose all over Melbourne when people got sick of them. And that's how come... I mean, I see them crossing roads in the yeah. Yarra Valley.
1: I mean, there, there might, a lot of people will say, can you put a turtle in my dam or something? And I'd be like, well, they won't stay there long. They mm. do. They walk for very long well, distances. Well, I took three
2: out of mine because I had to reline it. And so we emptied it and we took out the turtles and I took them down to the bottom, a, a different paddock. Yeah. They're back. Mm. <laughs> they said, this is mine, I'm coming. I never see them, though. I never yeah. see them i only saw them because they were laying their
1: eggs you gotta use what you do is you stay there at the water and you just watch the water and then you'll see this little tiny head (laughs) and that's how you see them then they go back down i actually got a lovely story about a little long neck if i may um yeah um i was doing um i used to do like pond maintenance and design when i used to work at this aquarium And I had this lovely client called Pam, and she lived in this very, very amazing house, which I'd never be able to own myself, but it was like a three-story house. And in the center was a courtyard, a a pond courtyard, and it was all framed by glass walls all from within the house. Anyway, she had a little pet Murray turtle, which was for her grandkids, and they'd have that in the pond, and we made the pond so it was all for it. And we had little islands, and we had... Plants growing everywhere. Anyway, this Murray turtle did very, very well. And Pam gave me a call one day and said, Emily, I think it had a baby. And I'm like, I'm sorry, but that turtle's a male and it definitely did not have a baby. She's like, no, I've definitely got a baby here. And I was like, what is this? I'm like, there's, I don't understand. So I went there and lo and behold, it's a baby long neck turtle. Different species, but a tiny little size of about a 50 cent piece long neck turtle. (laughs) You cannot get into this place. It's in the centre of a house. You couldn't even throw a rock and get it in there. Anyway, we didn't know how this happened, but we figured it out. What happened was the next week, this heron came in, flew in, and it was trying to catch the goldfish. And Pam had seen it there before, and she's like, oh, there it is. And then they regurgitate, you see. So what I think has happened, it's not completely like, yeah, Solved, Proof. but yeah. we think it regurgitated an egg. The, no, the, the live turtle. Right. So it must have been holding it and regurgitated the live turtle. And that's how we got a little baby long in the pond. There we go. Yeah. That's the story. <laughs> that
2: is truly <laughs> fabulous. Yeah, we now we have a message from Alex who says, just wanted to note that rehabilitation works on the Mooney Ponds Creek drain have begun this year with a trial phase between Strathmore and Oak Park. Very early on, but it looks great and it seems to have been well received. Fingers crossed that the rehab work makes it all the way down to Flemington someday. Oh, mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. You what? know, it's the, 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 the health they
1: do around our creek systems within Melbourne is good, but they need to go out too. Like, you should see what
2: it looks like further out of Melbourne. It's horrendous. Mm. Yeah. But, yeah, it's good. This is the 3CR Garden Show. I'm Virginia Hayward and with me is Emmeline Bowman, Greg Boulderston and Craig Wilson. I thought, as it is now after eight o'clock, I would let you know what's going on. Now, today is the last day of the ye Garden Expo in ye and the Australian Native Orchid Spring Show in Mount Waverley. The Tesla Tulip Festival is on and it's on for the next month, then into October. October the 7th and 8th, Mount Macedon Garden Lovers' Fair. October the 7th, Burnley Gardens have their Spring Propagation Workshop from 10 till 1 at Yarra Boulevard. You can go to Try Booking if you would like to go to that. 14th and 15th of October is Lardner Park Garden and Home Expo. The 21st of October is the, it is the opening of Country Farm Perennials and they're opening till the 7th of November. So that's, I can't work that out, 10 days or something like that. Country Farm Perennials and Seedscapes and that's in Gippsland. You can look up Country Farm Perennials. It's a beautiful garden and definitely well worth visiting. The 21st and the 22nd, the Botanic Gardens are having their, their Friends plant sale. The 28th and 29th of October, Fernie Creek Horticultural Society Flower Festival and also the 28th and 29th Alexandra Open Gardens which is always a treat and definitely worth the trip. November the 11th and 12th is the Yarra Valley Plant Fair which are num- that and the Mount Macedon Garden Lovers Fair will both have a lot of the 3CR Garden Show people there and December the 10th is the Plant Trust Christmas Party which will be in Mount Macedon. So that is all the things that are on and there's rather a lot, particularly mm. in October. Mm. So when's
3: Orvieto open?
2: The ooh, the it, Sunday. It's the Sunday. I will. Something the twenty-first rings a bell. S- explain what Orvieto is. Mm. Orvieto
3: is John Finlay's garden in Lilydale, and it's an interesting garden. And it's not about flowers or anything pretty. It's really about form and structure. John was heavily influenced by Patrick and Owen Singleton, who the old timers will remember. They had a big garden in North Croydon. Two brothers, academics, and Patrick dug out and built himself a small amphitheatre in his garden. (laughs) Um, He was a classicist at Melbourne Uni. And and the seats were filled with pots of crocus. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and, and they only grew species, and then that sort of transferred to John. So for many many years, John only planted species at his garden in uh, in Lilydale, but I, th- I think we might have talked him out of that in the end. <laughs> and he he has a few hybrids now.
2: There are two gardens open on Sunday, the first of October. So everybody, open gardens in Lilydale and in Gruyere. So they're close together. Mm-hmm. It's on the Sunday. Not on the Saturday. Mm-hmm. Can I please m- make that clear? On so Sunday, me one day. the 1st of October. So it's John's Garden at Orvieto, which is in Lilydale, And then there's Gravillia Rise in Gruyere, which is pro- predominantly native, got beautiful views across the Warramates, and is well worth a visit as well. And there's also at that time a garden on the Sunday and the Monday, a garden open in Wanda, Wonga Park. Park for Open Gardens Victoria, so it's definitely time to be checking Open Gardens Victoria regularly. For some reason, we don't seem to be getting notifications. I must contact them and make sure that's happening again.
3: Yeah, I, w- I would encourage anyone to go and have a look at Orvieto. It's an interesting property. Very steep. If very steep. If you've yeah. got
2: very bad legs, maybe not.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, and the first open garden of the season is today at Parnham Farm, which is in Muradock. 10 till 4 at 288 Coolart Road, Muraduck, So that's Panham Farm. So, yes, wonderful. Mm. Open Gardens is back. And it's a, such exciting. a nice thing to do. Oh, yeah. you beautiful day. You don't quite know what to do with yourself. Yeah. You spent the day before gardening so hard you want to rest. Go to an open garden. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Always works. And I, I think um, Olvieto is... Both those gardens... Orvieto and Gruyere, they're 15 minutes apart, so there's yeah. not no reason not to see both of them.
4: Yeah. About the open gardens too, is um, like Forest Glade's pretty much open every day, but uh, it's just kicking into spring at the moment mm. and the roadies look absolutely stunning. Mm. Good year for roadies. It, it is. Mm. And the magnolias as well, like you're mm-hmm. mentioning before, they have all sort of fl- uh, flowering at the same time. And whilst the numbers in the garden are going up, especially on the weekends... If you wanted to see Forest Glade in its spring glory, rather uh, as opposed to its autumn uh, when it looks really good as well, um, during the week at the moment is probably one of the better bets to get to have a decent look around the garden without having too many people around uh, and having to wait in line to get into the garden or anything like that. So yeah, if you've got a, a free day during the week at the moment, it's probably one of the best times to see uh, Forest Glade in with its roadies and uh, magnolias and spring glory. It's, uh, it's looking really good. The daffodil paddock's pretty much in full flower and the bluebell uh, lawn's uh, only a week or two away. Um, and Sounds it's just wonderful, looking, Yeah, it looks, uh, I like to think of it as like uh, unicorn vomit at, <laughs> at the moment. It's just there's every single shade of everything it's all sort of happening at the same time. <laughs>
2: oh. <laughs> and can you explain to people where it is?
4: Uh, so Forest Glade is on Mount Macedon Road can't quite remember the number but it's hard to miss it's the signs out the front it's yep. quite a way up it's a, uh, uh, yeah uh, it's a fair way up the hill mm. so I presume um, that
2: is uh, and the parking
4: the parking's a bit funny because of the the, the road up there um, it's in front of Durrell which is one of the next door properties um, there's spaces for maybe 10 15 20 cars there. Mm. Um, and there's some parking a little bit further away and if you like walking up hills you could park down near the pub and the trading post and have a coffee and then hike a kilometre or so up the one of the steeper parts of the hill to the garden Um, but at least it's downhill on the way back
2: (laughs) yes yes Yes, and and of course, if people are going to the Mount Macedon Plant Fair, they could go up that yeah, day as yep, well.
4: Yeah, yeah, I think it'd be pretty busy up there mm-hmm. that day, but um, it's probably going to be busy everywhere up that, uh, uh on on uh, the Bolabek weekend. So the the I haven't, plant fair.
2: I haven't been to the the Dandenongs. Botanic Garden, the old rhododendron garden, but I imagine with the blossom, that's probably as busy as busy at the moment. Yeah,
3: yeah. and it will be beautiful because the rhododendrons are just laden mm. with, with buds this year. Mm.
2: Yeah. Yes, it's definitely worth a visit. Yeah. 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 And we have got some wonderful free gardens, botanic gardens, oh, that yeah. are yes. really worth... Yeah. I mean, it, Melbourne's very interesting in that, or at least Victoria's very interesting in that it just probably because of the gold rush, question mark, developed a huge number of botanic gardens where the rest of the country only had one, two, three, maybe mm. four. You get little, little tiny towns 30. like malmesbury has <clears throat> got one. Mm.
4: And Malmesbury's not a huge place. And it's got this quite yeah. sort of extensive conifer collection in it's botanic gardens. Yeah, yeah. Um, And, yeah, so there's, there's, there's certainly, as you say, it may be, had something to do with the gold rush
1: yeah that's funny you um, brought
4: that up. yeah mm. uh certainly the big nursery at Mount Macedon which imported a lot of those plants that were planted throughout Victoria um so the Taylor's and Sanctis nursery which was actually down the end of the road I grew up on and I was one of my first jobs was working in the old nursery it wasn't a nursery anymore but it was an old garden it was like uh, a cross between gardening and archaeology working there <laughs> um but yeah the the they're all sort of fed by the gold rush, I think, um, fairly early on, importing all the plants for people that had just come into money and wanted to build a huge mansion up on Mount Macedon or up in the Dandenongs or
2: and, of the, course they and went, a lot
4: of the botanic gardens, the Ballarat. Yes. Uh, so they the Arakarias all came through this nursery. So if you yeah. see Araicaria, uh Arakaner anywhere, uh, old ones, they've, they come all came through Taylor's and Sanks' Nursery apparently.
2: And, of course, they went to Macedon because the roads were built for the gold rush. Oh, they're on the gold rush mm-hmm. road, yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yep. Which Now we have another message. Hi, team. Love the show. Highlight of my week. That shows good taste. <laughs> on magpies, we absolutely love them, but we have two that live at our house and we assume they were fed by the previous tenants as they wait outside our doors waiting to be fed or they hop inside if we leave the door open. <laughs> Is there anything we can do to encourage them to rewild themselves or will they just be stealing our morning tea off our plates for the rest of our lives? <laughs> Another topic. I'd really love to give straw bale gardening a go. Any tips? And where can I buy great cheap bales from? Love, Ange. Well, Ange, we need to know where you live to give you any suggestions on that. But let's start on the magpies. I can answer that. Magpies are
1: incredibly intelligent animals and they won't forget. (laughs) So for as long as these animals are alive, they will always check in to see if you or the previous owner are going to come home and feed them. So I would just, you know, uh, I'd ignore it or, you know, obviously plant in the garden a little bit more. If maybe you have a bit more of an open space, you could bring in a bit more vegetation or something like that and change the hierarchy of the space. Probably what you can do, but magpies are incredibly intelligent. And
4: and they'll teach their young a bit too. They do, they teach. It's intergenerational That's right,
1: they teach it all. Um, Yeah, so I'm sorry, but... They're going to
3: be your they'll survive without the food. Absolutely, mm. there, yeah.
1: it's just a little bonus. It's yeah. like, oh, it, might, you know. it
4: may be a ways to change the feeding habit. So, rather than if the previous owners were feeding them, at like find out what is healthy to feed them to, of course, but, but um. Yeah. Uh, maybe feed them somewhere other than right, right down at the, back the end door. of the back.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. down yeah. the backyard, so that
1: Ch- they
4: change the habits. If you, teach them a new habit and then abandon that habit.
1: <laughs> yeah, if you are feeding them, there's a wombaroo insectivore mix. Try to avoid giving them, you know, the normal mints and things like that. But mm. if you give them an insectivore mix, it'll it'll be better for them. You can get them from your
2: pet shop. It's wombaroo. Yeah. Okay, that is a very useful piece of information.
4: Now, best not to, isn't it? It's best not yeah. to. Yeah, right. they'll, they'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they They're did do survive. a
1: study on some birds um, about, like you know, feeding them, and I mean, it needs to have other additional studies done. Um, I don't want to put my whole eggs in that one basket, but there was. They were looking at the um, how the animals were. Well, the birds were feeding their chicks, and what they were doing was when they were getting food from people, they weren't actually feeding that food to their chicks. So they knew that it was junk food, basically. Mm, And they would go off and they would find, you know, lizards and and insects and things like that, and feed that to their chicks. So they actually they know that this isn't good. That was only done on. I think that was done on magpies, um, and it's only a couple of studies for that one person so I like I said don't put all your eggs in that one basket there needs to be multiple studies done yeah. I don't agree
2: with feeding animals that much but it does it does make sense because mm. it is junk food it is junk food
1: no like, Mac
3: yeah. is for the children no yeah. Mac
2: is for the children
1: <laughs> and you know kids if you had McDonald's or an apple you choose McDonald's
2: <laughs> well my daughter was never allowed McDonald's yeah. because we we were, she was born in London and we had mad cow disease ah. And it's really interesting. All her friends eat McDonald's. She just, they go to McDonald's, she doesn't. She just doesn't, is not interested. We were never given it either. It's Mm. the same as the magpies. Yeah. Don't don't give them the crap.
1: Yeah. I can't stand McDonald's. (laughs) I just think it's foul.
2: Well, (laughs) Jamie Oliver cured me (laughs) when he showed... The white, white reconstituted meat that they then died to make the patties yeah, out
1: of. I think they're horrendous. And they go into poor countries and they basically get them hooked because it's a really cheap alternative of food. And there's mass nutrition problems within these countries now because they target these low socioeconomic people. It's Emily, horrendous. It's, it's not
2: yeah. just these countries. It's it's, it's the here. northwestern yeah. suburbs. Yeah. yeah, I agree. Anyway,
1: yeah. this yeah. is a garden yeah. show, yeah. not McDonald's. <laughs> yes absolutely.
2: Yeah. <laughs> but it's um,
1: they it,
3: do have a particular gardening style oh usually yeah usually involving diosma well, yeah I, I often use the term oh it looks like a mcdonald's car it park is, plant that's
4: right. <laughs> yeah. it is the
1: term i think we all do it because we're like oh, that's a mcdonald's garden yeah. <laughs> there is one mcdonald's garden though on um bell street and they've got like these beautiful grass trees and I'm just like, I was shocked. What happened here? Yeah, yeah, yeah like right. who did this garden? Some, someone special <laughs> did the garden. They might have known the
2: person and actually, yeah. Yeah,
1: right. In I like don't know group. if
2: they've changed, but they did for much longer than anywhere, anyone else refuse to let you use your own keep cup for coffee, mm. which is, you know, yes, let's let's yeah. make everybody get takeaway cups mm. and fill yeah. up a couple of trams with rubbish. Yeah. Now, Anne has said that she lives in Warrenwood if she wants to do Anshu wants to do the straw bale mm. garden. I know you can get um, cheaper bales wholesale in the Yarra Valley. Mm. Uh, it involves having a ute and filling up the back of it. Um, I think straw bale gardening is great. I like also just, I mean, using straw bales as, for the edges of beds because mm. as they break down, they're just going to... I always use pea straw, which Craig doesn't ever <laughs> use.
3: <laughs> I just don't think it's got any guts, but as a mulch, that's that's my only mm. problem with it.
2: Yes, I'd like it because it's feeding the nitrogen mm. into the
3: yeah. soil. Yeah,
2: mm. I don't. I've not done.
3: No, I don't know anything
4: about. Yeah, straw okay. Bales. I thought no, you either. guys I would. I oh, just any anything organic, anything that's organic matter, is not bad.
1: Well, you, it's
2: always you know, been it's... a good way to um to grow potatoes, yeah. straw bales. Yeah. Um, and what we might do is actually get a straw bale program together for you which won't solve your problems for now but uh, I do you're not far from the Yarra Valley and I do know that you can get cheaper straw bales in the Yarra Valley i if if you um leave your phone number with the producer I'll give you a ring and I think it would be a good idea for us to try and do a straw bale session. I think that would be a really interesting session. Mm. But in okay. the meantime,
3: you can accumulate the straw bales and let them go mouldy.
2: Well, quite. Yep. They're wonderful when they're uh, mouldy. Yeah. Mm. Yes, keep them in the rain yeah. while we yep. still have it. Mm-hmm. Yes, because I'm very scared that that's going to go. I've so. Yeah. Although I've whinged about it being cold, because you know, having lived in London for twenty years, <laughs> I learnt to whinge about the weather. <laughs> But I do, I will miss the rain. I have it's been, been a
3: lovely couple of years, isn't it's it? Oh, been really. to to it's about. been fabulous for yeah. garden. An extraordinarily mild. mild winter. Yeah. yeah. And, and mild co- summers. Yeah. 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 Yes. This we- winter was, yeah, not cold at all. No, I didn't think so either. No. Yeah. no. There, was, there, was, wasn't, there was only really a couple of days that I was really driven inside.
1: Which is exactly like our summer, though. It's like these really, like maybe a few sporadic days of really hot weather, but yeah. not like what you can remember. Yeah. No, no, yeah.
2: three days of 40. No. Yeah. Which yeah. is absolutely wonderful. Mm-hmm. Because cause I just treat February as a month that might as well not exist in yeah. terms of the garden.
1: It's really important to have those really hot days and the cool nights too for obviously plant propagation yep. and seeding of different plants. So you've got a lot of species that haven't yep. been seeding or proper, like reproducing lately.
3: As is the dry important because mm. the soil opens up and aerates. And, mm. yep. It's been really interesting, uh, again, out in the forest, up at
4: Mount Macedon, you usually associate wetter especially wetter autumns, um, with much more fungi. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the last couple of years, the species that are, the species of fungi I've been seeing out in the forest is actually quite a lot less. There's been a lot of mushrooms mm-hmm. around, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but the diversity hasn't been there. And it's been really interesting because I would have expected the last couple of autumns to be some of the best mushroom hunting. Yeah, this one was uh, terrible. Uh, uh, and enough. there, there wasn't, yeah, there's... You know, out of the three or four hundred species I photographed on Mount Macedon, Mm -hmm. um, there wasn't that much diversity up there. Um, Mm. And, yeah, I I was expecting to walk out into the forest and there's just mushrooms on every surface. (laughs) And you found one or two species where there were lots of them and they had a really good season. But, yeah, nothing... Mm. None of the really rare little treasures that you, I thought I might find uh, uh, this year uh, and last year. So that that was interesting to see how the fungi behaved. Yeah. But don't they, in, don't in this...
3: they surface with warm soil and moisture? Uh, it depends
4: what they are and what they're growing out of and yeah. whether they're mycorrhizal or, or saprotrophic. Um, but yeah, just usually you would associate a wetter, especially a wetter summer going into autumn with more mushrooms mm-hmm. uh, during the autumn season. The, the, that autumn flush where a lot of them come out but uh they just went yeah oh, there were, as i say there was plenty around just not the diversity that i was I expecting i was reading
2: the other day that there are a huge number of um truffles in australia naturally
4: oh yeah yeah they evolved here um apparently yeah so the uh, truffles are quite a recent evolutionary sort of uh, advancement and um apparently they evolved in australia and uh, on well probably yeah uh Australia slash Antarctica, South America, sort of. But, uh, yeah, they evolved in this area of the world uh, fairly recently. And, um, yeah, walking out, again, Mount Masson, there's three or four different species you can stumble across. They're very small and hard to see. And it's only because I'm on my hands and knees getting eaten by leeches anyway, photographing something else. (laughs) Um, You'll see a little blush of orange just at the surface and scratch it away. And there's a, a little truffle there that were, you know, probably eaten and distributed by things like bush rats and uh, antichinus and Mm -hmm. and things like that 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 would have sniffed them out and dug them up and ate them and then pooed out the spores some distance away with a little capsule of uh, fertiliser and off they went again. It's all a system. Yeah, so the truffles in Australia are, um, are quite diverse, I think, more than anywhere else in the world.
2: Huh. Yeah. It is extraordinary. The things that we do completely differently, like, Songbirds, for example, you know Mm. all our parrots. The reason they've got such incredibly um, harsh calls is because, unlike most forests in the world, our forests are wind pollinated. Mm. So, the nectar up there is something that's very important for the animals, Mm. and they they have the call to protect their areas. Mm. Mm. But But songbirds
3: evolved here too. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Mm. 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 But the Harsh call of a lot of our big birds is very um, specific yeah. to us, mm. and there is something very ugly about the sound of a cockatoo. Mm. No, I Not the black cockatoo. I, I love think that. they're funny. It's, it's they're wonderful. <laughs> yeah.
6: yeah, I like yeah, it's it pretty the strange. cockies. Yeah.
2: yeah, we got a big
1: eucalypt at our house, and they all, their roosting tree comes at at 4:30, 5 o'clock. Ah! But they're yeah, so yeah. funny. They're hanging upside down in the tree. I'm just glad that they're having a good time.
4: They're very <laughs> grumpy. I they can't can believe be, I grew up as they, a kid they, thinking that dinosaurs went extinct and we're completely no. surrounded by all these dinosaurs they're, that sound like dinosaurs. Yeah.
1: <laughs> My little lorikeet, you know, I look at it at Miggy all the time and I'm like, it looks like a little raptor. They're yeah. definitely... Oh, they're, yeah. I mean, we know they that they're are. evolved yeah, yeah. from dinosaurs, but yeah. you look yeah. at them, you know. Yeah. Now,
2: we've got a few questions or comments. Roger's rung in to say that the Cranbourne Friends RBGV plant sale is the 21st and 22nd of October mm-hmm. from 10 till 4. Now... They have got the best selection of unusual Australian plants. Oh, they do. And do
3: they have alpine plants?
2: No. They're growing them. Whether they're actually selling them yet, I don't know.
1: Well, this they, is
3: what we need to know. Yes. They
2: do
1: sell the, the native rhododendron, but that's it.
3: Yeah.
1: But it's a fantastic sale. I go there every time.
6: Yeah.
1: Mm. It's fun. Get there early to get the good stuff.
2: Um, I shouldn't say that, actually. The other ob- yeah. there. <laughs> don't go there. Yeah. <laughs> what... What is the optimal time in Melbourne to sow seeds of nasturtium, calendula and viola? I collected them from various gardens last year, so I have no instructions. Well, I would say now. Yeah, Yeah, now, definitely now. In fact,
4: I'll be doing that later this afternoon Mm. for those particular plants. Those particular plants.
2: (laughs) Excellent. And Chris Shilcock from the Bonsai Society of Victoria event at Box Hill Town Hall, 7th and 8th of November. Bonsai's on display and available for sale. So that's the Bonsai Society of Victoria having their event at Box Hill Town Hall on the 7th and 8th of October. Mm. I must add that to the list for us to read out every week. Uh, Susie has asked if we can elaborate on growing potatoes and straw bales. I think, Susie, we need to actually get somebody in or ask um, somebody to ring in who's very good at this. Uh, I think what we will do is try and have a program on where we actually particularly look at growing things in straw bales. Mm. Mm. So if anybody wants to ring us, 9419 or text us, 0488 809 And for the podcasters, 3cr.gardening at gmail.com. Now... We haven't looked at a plant yet. No,
4: mm-hmm. we bought so many in too. Craig and mm-hmm. I have uh, ransacked both our Oh, no, one, one
2: quick question before we go to that. What is the best feed for bulbs as they die back?
3: Mm. It, well, when they're dying back is not the time to feed them. Mm. It's when they're growing strongly. And in fact, when they're surfacing yeah. is, is the so time to feed them. I remember Marcus Harvey, uh,
4: a great bulb grower that uh, died a few years ago, uh, lived in Tasmania. I remember him telling me that the only time you feed bulbs uh well the best time to feed bulbs uh nitrogen which they don't need a lot of is very, at the start of the season um and he always suggested to use something quite soluble so it didn't stay in the pots um and the phosphates and potassium are much more important for a lot of the bulbs especially south african and middle eastern stuff um and, and
2: you feed that early because you're feeding the flower
4: yeah Uh, although often the potassium is actually more useful later in the season for some bulbs because that's when they're forming next year's flowers. So look, most, I'm not, I don't know about all bulbs, but most bulbs actually produce... They've By the time they've set their bulb, the flower's are already inside it. Mm-hmm. And it's just sitting there as a little tiny bud waiting for the next season so it can pop it up to the surface. So,
2: Which is why you don't cut all the leaves off when as, as yeah, they're dying best. down because you want that goodness to go it's, back into the bulb. It's that thing with
4: daffodils where it's like, oh, they look ugly, I'm going to cut them all down. Mm-hmm. but And it won't kill them, but if you want the best out of your bulbs, like if you're growing them to have nice, healthy bulbs with good flowers... You let it do its thing. Mm. Right, yeah. <laughs> let it look ugly for a little while because mm. it's going to be a, a healthier plant
3: because of it. But the feeding as they're deteriorating is not correct. Yeah. yeah, for
4: for most things, I think there's a couple of like tulips, for instance, have their roots are still active after they die down. Yeah. Uh, so the tulips will need watering, for instance, after they die down, so they can still suck up some nutrients. But most of the bulbs developed well by by the time you know the the flowers up and doing its thing, the bo- the next season's bulbs, you are know, there. Are, are there yeah. or already starting to develop, or yeah, they've right. already collected most of the nutrients yeah. for the following season at that point.
2: Mm. And can I say, it comes back to that same thing, we're talking about insects and birds, the bulbs, the insects and the birds, don't like tidy gardens. No. Mm. no. And we have to keep that in mind. Yes. Mm-hmm. If we want to Fungy keep... fungi don't either. No, fungi yeah. don't.
1: No. <laughs> we have to like uh, just enjoy or appreciate the seasons and the changes that we... Like as humans, obviously a lot of people like it clean and look so neat. Mm. But we have to change our perspective on things and think there's this, there's this period of time where that's the feeding. Like we know when the daffodils are finished. Look at it and imagine it as food going back into the ground. You've mm. got to change perspective of people. Same with our summers, like when... The grass has come to head and it all looks a bit dry. It's actually got this really beautiful, like, outlook. I, I of,
4: think that's my favourite part of grass. And, yeah, exactly. The grass areas. Is but just, a lot
1: is, of people will say that's weedy yeah, and I want yeah. to get rid of that and make it all clean. Well, and cutting,
4: cutting lawns and even having lawns to a certain degree, mm. if you don't need them, if you don't need that to have that open space mm. is... Um,
2: For me, the open space is absolutely essential.
4: Fundamentally. But, yeah. but you don't have to have a lawn. You can have an open space. You can have an open grassland. Yeah, have a grassland. But have a diversity of species in it. Don't have all the same species of grass that's kept, you know, an inch tall every, you know, cut every and cutting grass and taking all the clippings off the lawn yeah, and dumping them in a rubbish or something mm-hmm. and then having to feed the lawn. Is, I always find that ridiculous because it's like you're taking stuff off the grass yeah. and then you're spending money to put stuff back on the grass so it grows again.
3: So the lawn it, should be just a collection of weeds that you mow. Yeah. yeah. Mm. yeah. That's exactly so what mine is. Down. So mm-hmm. yeah. you can keep it down. You can keep it down
2: but the cape encourage... cape weed at the moment is just looking good. I must admit <laughs> I do dig some of the cape weed out.
3: Mm. Mm. And, and you just use a mulching mower.
4: Yep. Oh, And even mow, like if you need to walk across your lawn, you don't want to get wet shoes all the time, mow a track. Don't mow the whole lawn. Yeah. Just mow a path through it and encourage wildflowers and things like on. Some years
2: ago I banned cloven hoofed animals from my bottom paddock mm-hmm. and I'm getting kangaroo grass, wallaby uh, the, yeah. the change in not having any horses down there yep, yep. is just wonderful. And mm. I ha- because it's been wet, I haven't slashed it. I've just let them all go. I've got mm. eucalypts coming up. It's wonderful. Yeah. What's the option? No, we've done that. Oak Park McDonald's is <laughs> a great Brachycite and <laughs> There must be someone because, look, grass trees, Brachycite, there must be someone who's just doing some McDonald's gardens and putting in some And, and we've duties. got we've got a call on line yeah. seven. On line seven, we have Jill. Hello, Jill. Hello, Virginia and team.
7: Uh, oops, sorry, I'm getting some feedback here. I'm, I forgot, yeah, forgot to... Uh, Switch off yeah. To switch, switch
2: off, off your speaker. radio. <laughs>
7: yeah, yeah. My no, not my radio, um, I had it on speakerphone. <laughs> yes. Look, I first of all wanted to say terrific discussion. So interesting. And um, Hello, are you there? Yes, we certainly yeah. are. Yeah. And but I also want to put in a a plea for well, a defence of feeding the birds. I um, we're in East Brighton and we've had just all the houses around here have been, and their gardens have been demolished and they're mm. putting on, you know, stacking in about two or three McMansions per block. Mm. So there are no gardens left. We used to have about seven magpies in our street. Uh, and, we, and then I suddenly realised we were down to two. Mm. And so I started feeding them. Mm-hmm. I feed them lean mints mixed with um, calcium powder. Mm-hmm. I tried them on the wombaroo, by the way, and they turned their beaks up at it. It's too healthy. It's
1: too healthy. That's why. (laughs)
7: It's too good for them. Oh, no, I'm not eating my greens, (laughs) Mum. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I even tried mixing it in with the mince to see if I could kind of fool them, and no, they weren't having a bar of it. So that was disappointing. But um, we then uh, had quite an extensive renovation here. We had to move out, and as with COVID and everything, it was a couple of years before I could come back and start feeding them again, I came back and thought, oh, there's only... Because when I was feeding them before, I got the family up to about five. When I came back, I only ever saw one male mm-hmm. uh, after two years away. Uh, I called him and he flew straight over, and he actually... So I gave him some of the lean mints. And he picks it up and then breaks it up into little pieces and he has take, uh, he ate some of it, but then he is taking it off. I'm sure he is taking it to feed a family mm. somewhere.
1: When you're desperate, I
7: guess. Uh, and and I, I do think, I mean, I'm a member of uh, Australian bird life, so I'm you know conscious that there's a, quite a strong tradition in Australia that you shouldn't feel, feed wild birds. But in the city, it's, ma- it's really a case of feed them we'll or lose them. No, mm-hmm. I,
1: I agree.
7: And I'm not prepared to lose their song uh, and their companionship. And um, also in, in the rest of the world, it's much more usual to feed wild birds. It's mm-hmm. quite acceptable. So I think it's we, Australia's a bit of a sort of standout in that regard. Um, and I think, okay, yes, feed them the proper food, be educated about it. Uh, and don't feed them massive, so they're totally dependent on you. But
2: mm, I think it's very important to make the feeding very inconsistent. Yeah. Mm. I think yeah. the hard yes, thing well, is... Well,
7: we're away three days a week, so, so three days a week they get nothing from me. Mm. But I, and when I am here, I give them very small amounts. You know, but like, I think also
2: they, the inconsistency in, is important, Jill, because that's where the dependency comes. I think. Oh that's yes. The,
7: oh no. There's no doubt that they are foraging like mad, and I, I, I've seen Mrs. Magpie. She too has come and remembered me after two years, which I thought was very nice. But. Um, They're foraging, and I think they've got young ones. And
2: they've that's exciting knowing that you've got young ones there, Jill. Yes, it is.
7: It is. I'm thrilled. (laughs) Thanks very much, Jill. No worries, and great discussion. Really
2: interesting.
7: Bye bye. Yeah, bye.
2: And then we have a call on line one about attracting birds to the garden. Good morning, Emma. Oh it's
0: Sue! Oh it's Sue! Hello. <laughs> Sue, <laughs> Hi. How are you? I'm good. No, I'm good. Great program there, but I thought I'd bring in about the um, the the little wrens and uh, Thornbills gin because um, I actually discovered something very interesting that's happened because um, I, I actually hurt my knee, so I couldn't walk. So instead of the compost going into the compost bin, I started throwing the fruit that had gone off into the um, rose garden. Anyway, what, what actually happened is when I was Googling what, you, you know, about getting the small birds and everything into the garden, they're after the habitat, but not just that, they're after the insects. Mm-hmm. So this is a great tip. If you're going to keep, your compo- keep your fruit um, separate from your compost, and if you put it into the garden as it composts down you get all the small insects mm. so i've been putting them into those areas like in front of i've got some windows that look out into the garden so i can watch the little birds so if it's you, you could you can put your compost at the back of the garden so nobody sees it but as it composts down you get all the little insects and then the thornbills have actually got food to uh, forage on
1: mm. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. It's mean, yeah, a much
4: better so, way of creating an ecosystem.
0: Absolutely. Like a, a, uh, yeah, You're not yeah. feeding
4: the birds directly, you're creating a <laughs> was quite
0: something yeah. the other day because I, I threw a capsicum and it quite, didn't, didn't quite hit the ground and it's still stuck in one of my roses at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting decoration, <laughs> sir. Yeah, but it's, it's not just the habitat because they feed on um, the small birds, feed on insects, but they also feed on fruit yeah. and nectar. They do. I've been watching them too because I thought it was just the habitat and the thornbills have been coming around because Salvia ramistat actually flowers uh, nearly all year. So my garden's designed sort of that you can see different parts of the garden from the glass windows Mm -hmm. as well. So it sort of looks out from the windows into the garden so whatever room you're in, you can actually... There, My cats have a ball just watching the birds and (laughs) chittering away out of the window. It's funny when they do that. It is, isn't it? And I think you're absolutely
2: right, Sue, in that we need to be encouraging the insects in our garden, Mm -hmm. which means you don't go and kill them all. mm -hmm. You know these
0: new uh, recycling bags that they've given you for your um, rubbish and things like that? Yes. Um, With my health being up and down, it'll go... uh, You know, I'd I'd had the little bin outside I, they're not going in the bin, I've been using it and then I put it into my compost bin. So, but I've, I've noticed that if, if I don't quite get to the compost bin, which is a bit bit of a walk from the back garden as as it breaks down, there's usually nothing left because the birds actually forage through the bag as the contents break down. And I oh mean, Elle went cooked because all these little insects were coming inside, but I've noticed that all the birds are really interested in in, as the compost breaks down and eating all the little insects that it creates.
6: Exactly, exactly.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, great show this morning. I've learned so much. I've been actually reading about dragonflies too while (laughs) you've been talking because I had uh, (laughs) dam cells um, in the garden the other day. Mm. Um, But, yeah, just reading about their life cycle and things. I have a lot of water features and things in my garden, so I do get a lot of those things. I didn't realise dragonflies only did till there were... You know, four four years old. Uh, yeah. Sorry, four months old. Once they're fully developed, That's either right.
1: it's the larvae that has the long life. But
0: yeah, 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 up to five years actually in the water Is state. It five?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. And interesting because uh, you know how you were talking about them um, doing it in the water. Apparently, they lay their eggs on um, trees as well. I yeah. didn't realise. Yeah.
1: They're different yeah. species. You should see this book. It's got hundreds and hundreds of species. So Yeah,
0: well, I was just reading, because now you've got me going, <laughs> 500 different species. Yep. Of, um, the only country they're not in is in Antarctica, apparently. Well, there you go.
2: Well, they're very yes. important to our world. That's good. I'm glad Absolutely. you're learning
0: yeah I, I learn something every every
2: time I listen. I excellent. love it. <laughs> Good on yeah, you, Sue. Thank you, Sue. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Bye. That's um, excellent. Um, I and let's have a quick attempt at a plant. Right. Yeah, we're losing time. We'll go time. through.
4: Uh, I'll go first. Enjoy. Is that all right? Yep. yep so yep, yep. I've got I've got to talk about this. This is uh, an arum I grew uh, that grew naturally at home from uh, a cross between arum Perpuria spathum and arum italicum and it has the dark burgundy almost black flower of purpurea spathum but has the variegated lease of, of some of the nicer arum italicums um, it, it's uh it's a very good doer but not as good as italicum can be in gardens so it's not quite that weedy, but absolutely beautiful almost burgundy black flowers that sit over the tops of these uh, lovely variegated leaves um, it
2: is a very beautiful flower, and, and mm. I na-
4: named it Cygnus after the first black hole ever discovered because huh. uh, they, they look black, hovering above the leaves. Really pretty, pretty plant, and I've got to uh. get Craig some. I think Stephen's got some too, so hopefully he might sell some at some point.
3: It, it's it's extraordinary that the flowers have become taller. Yeah, the yeah,
4: Yeah, so the per, the purpuria spathum tends to pop its flowers up a little bit higher than the leaves. Uh, but the but not much. But Italicum doesn't, and yeah. I, the tops of the Italicum flowers droop over too, where yeah. the purpuris spathum doesn't. So it's got the perfect combination of both parents uh, mm-hmm. that's created this really pretty flower. The other Arum I bought in is Arum hygrophyllum, which is a uh, much daintier sort of uh, lesser flower, although they can get quite tall. I've uh, seen a flower on one of these uh, nearly two metres tall before. Two metres? Mm. Gee, haven't seen um, and they love water, and can almost be evergreen if they're in a damp—I uh, yeah. wouldn't say wet spot, but a damp spot—they'll uh, get quite tall. They've got very narrow. I think it's hastate is the shape of the leaf, like arrowhead leaves. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've, and I
2: found that in a pot in my house. This week and thought, what the hell's it? Probably worked? came from me at I'm some sure point. I'm sure it will. Yeah. Be.
4: <laughs> um, so, and it's a green flower, uh, a, a green type Arum flower uh, with this beautiful sort of uh, deep burgundy black uh, margin <laughs> around the edge of the the, uh, the uh, spave. Um, I'll go through a couple more. I'll go through the bulbs. There's uh, some other weedy things. Uh, the Hespa- African weeds. South uh. African weeds. Hesperanta <laughs> caculata, which... Um, if you live anywhere na- native forest, uh, especially in drier regions, don't have it. Don't plant mm-hmm. it. If you're in a built-up area and there's no chance of it escaping into the native wildlife, it's actually a really pretty bulb. Mm-hmm. If you've got a gravel driveway and uh, instead of pulling out, constantly spraying it or pulling out weeds, plant stuff like South African bulbs in it and you'll just, where your car drives over, they won't grow there. And everywhere else you'll have these beautiful bulbs that will just pop up for a few months and then they and, just disappear.
2: And that one you're holding is? So
4: this is Hesperantha caculata. Um, and this one you can't grow the same. This is another Hesperantha. I was hoping it would open up. The Hesperanthas is really interesting. Coming from South Africa, they get pollinated by all sorts of things. And often they're in competition with each other in the same grassland. So they'll have their uh, species-to-species opening times. So the Hesperantha calculata open between about four and six in the afternoon, Mm. uh, depending on the weather. Um, This is Hesperantha vaginata, which uh, looks black on the outside, but it opens up to a bright yellow. Yes, it's beautiful. Uh, So you've got these bright yellow and black Mm. uh, petalled flowers as it opens up. That one opens up just in the sunlight during the day. Um, But you get Hesperanthas with long tubes and Gladys... Yeah, the South African pollinators are really interesting whole ecosystem happening there. And some colour at night, some of the gladdies colour at night and have beautiful perfumes. Some have long tubes to get hoverflies. Some open between two and four in the afternoon. Some open between four and six in the afternoon. Uh, another South African bulb of the Spraxis, which are flowering at the moment. Uh, I think this is Spraxis bulbiferates. Uh, they almost look like yellow frangipanis when they're fully open. There's um, a no b- perfume, but... The um, road
2: I drive up to Craig, there is just the most massive number of Spraxis right yeah. down there. Is it yeah, that or, one, or is it this? I think it's Spraxis. Okay. We've got yeah. Road. In Verme Road. We've yeah, got so that it's, pink one going up Yeah, foliage. so
4: Hesperanthococulata is yeah. pink on the outside, mm. so when they're closed they're not very colourful, they're just like a dull pink mm. um, and you don't really notice them as much. Mm. And then all of a sudden again at about four or five in the afternoon when the, just when the sun goes mm. off them in the afternoon they'll all open up and then there's this, just this huge cloud of white for a couple of hours, and then they all close back up again for the next day. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's that's a few bulbs I brought in anyway.
2: Well, before we go on to your next lot, we're just going to go to Max in Thornbury, who wants to talk about kiwi fruit. Max. Oh,
8: hi. Hi. Hello. Thanks for um, taking my call. Um, I've got, um, look, about a month ago I planted two um, Hayward if it's a male and a female the male has put on quite a bit of um, fresh growth which is good to see Um, the female hasn't done anything there's no signs of life i'm just wondering whether they tend to um, start moving a bit you know um, a bit later than the males or whether it's likely to be um, just dead Um, dormantly dead Mm Yeah, so should I should I wait longer
4: or should I um, um... definitely wait longer? Yeah, mm. scratch yeah. the bark. Yeah, scratch the bark. That's always a good test, isn't it? A little yep. bit of a bark scratch. Mm-hmm.
2: It's okay. what happened to me. The male survived, the f- female died. I've recently just pulled the male out because they're so big. Yeah. Normally, I'd say plant two females, but, but they're, they're
3: climbing
4: trees, they get enormous. They, they, are, get, they and, get huge. Yeah. I've seen a uh, uh, kiwi fruit heavily cut back put on uh, eight meters in a couple of weeks. Wow, <laughs> when <Wow. laughs> we, we a month or so, anyway. But mm. like water shoots, an inch thick, that just go straight up out mm. of the thingo. so they're, they're, yeah,
2: I took mine out for Big that things. reason. It's mm. just. That, for me, even in my either. garden, it's too big. They mm. don't
4: smell great when they flower either.
2: Well, they no one ever like. talks
4: about kiwi fruit and what it smells like when it's flowering. Have you ever? Did you ever notice that?
2: No, but I, I, the flowers lovely. It
4: smells a little bit like a public toilet. Oh really? Yeah, a little like, bit. Bit, That's a bit off. Chemical that Really? They put in, like, no, I don't know what it is. No, yeah. no, it's more. Your Organic, own. no, yeah. m- more the other end. I think. Really? Yeah, yeah. There you go. It's, so, it's a
2: weird smell. Yeah. So Max, we have uh, all sorts of opinions on quick kiwi fruit. <laughs> okay. So far, none of them have been. Uh, they're lovely to eat.
3: Yes. Yeah, my uncle grew yeah. them commercially yeah. in New Zealand. He was one of the first to plant okay. them. You know, remember in the early '80s when they were worth a fortune. Mm. He was growing them then, and they require an enormous amount of pruning. Yeah, mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah. But yes, um, give it
4: give it a little bit longer. Yep. And yeah, because it's, yep. it's still, for some things, still pretty early in the season. Like there's a yeah. lot of trees that haven't yeah. leafed up yet. They've so. also
2: developed a really, I can't remember what it's called, but a small one, which is a much, yeah. much I've more attainable size. Yep. So you might, if your female is dead, you've two choices buy another female or look, or even if it's alive, maybe just look for the other. Smaller one. That's I can't remember what they call, a-
4: but they're about. They're like a, jo- a large grape size almost. Yes, right, but, but they're the still the kiwi kiwis. fruit. Yeah, mm.
8: yeah um, they sell them as kiwi berries. Yes, that's mm. right. I did try and or, or hardy kiwi fruit also, but I didn't find it hardy in my garden and managed to kill it also. But um, yeah, so that's why I'm on the. Um, the, you know, the more common varieties that I've, I've got now. Could I just ask one more question of course about you can, a passion fruit? Yes. Um, it was a non-grafted variety. Excellent. Um, mm. And it did fine over... Um, I planted it last spring um, and um, I was looking forward to it, you know, putting, putting on a reasonable amount of fruit this year, but it's just um, died. Um, no obvious... Mm. Reasons um, it hasn't frosted in my backyard. Um, it gets a fair bit of shade from a next door's um which is on the west. Um, it
2: doesn't want shade.
8: No, no, I know no, it doesn't, but it was the only spot I had left for it, so mm. um, I can't. Yeah,
2: I would just I try know. another one because I've had no, this happen. Yeah. yeah, they die. No mm. idea why. Then, I, I put mm. one in the other day. It's. I mean, what. Couple of months ago, it's living beautifully. Mm. No idea Mm. why.
4: My dad used to grow them as as a bit of a something a hobby. He had quite a a hundred or so of them in, Mm. and yeah, they just just die sometimes. Just to get a nice
3: big healthy plant and just die. But yeah, my parents farm in the far north of New Zealand. They used to self seed in the garden. So Mm. they're definitely subtropical. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Mm. I always find, like, it's great that you've got a non-grafted variety too, and I don't find that they're as vigorous, obviously, and it takes a couple Mm. of years, but um, better than the grafted variety because then you would get that weedy variety that comes through. No, the grafteds mm. are terrible. I hate Mm. them. They're just Mm. really, yeah, problematic. It takes years to get rid of the graft. They should be fairly
3: easy to raise from seed, wouldn't they? No, no idea. No. Because I'm they sell, they, as I said, they used to self-seed, self-seed. up in Fomerae. Mm. Didn't know. Yeah. yeah. That's
8: an idea for the non-grafted ones. I am still yeah. pulling out the rootstock of a grafted variety. Yeah. That
1: they sell them getting... all
3: the time too. Yeah. I, I try so putting long. the seed in and I wouldn't put it in until November or December when it starts to warm up a bit.
1: Mm. Yeah. Yes,
2: well, there's something. Try the seed, Max, and then ring us back and tell us yeah. how it goes. Yeah, okay. All right, thanks, thanks very
7: much. <laughs>
2: thanks very much, Max.
7: Yeah, okay, bye. Cheers. Now,
2: we've, we've got a couple of messages. For those who love the magpie song, mm-hmm. my phone has a free magpie ringtone <laughs> and my wake-up alarm is a kookaburra. <laughs> Nobody minds when my phone rings. And then and the next best call is that of the butcher bird. I agree oh, yeah. entirely. Love the bit, butcher yeah. bird. Yeah. And then Rosie has come back again. I feed the magpies, but they do fine when I'm away. They forage every day. They can't lose their foraging instinct. I've created habitats, big manna gums and lots of shrubs for smaller birds to keep thing na- things natural. But supplementing the diets of magpies and butcher birds with mints helps them and brings me joy. As Jill said, these urban birds are losing habitat and food left, right and centre, and we can help them with the right gardening and some supplementary feeding. Yeah. Population of butcher birds has increased since I started feeding them over 20 years here in Mitcham. Not in many neighbourhoods have butcher birds and the butcher bird is the most wonderful song. It Mm -hmm. is. I love it.
3: I hadn't considered the the lack of habitat or the loss of habitat in the city and that would clearly make a big difference as it does to possums. But
4: it also and the main point uh, that we were making earlier was um, the habitat's one of the most important things and Mm -hmm. if you've got especially if you've got a population of birds that's relying on people feeding them and then all those people move away or Mm. or can't feed them or whatever, Um, the idea would be to have a habitat that can support them whether the people are feeding them or not. Uh, And obviously feeding them can be really helpful, Mm. um, but... It's probably not the best thing to be able to, it, like, to be relying on that.
3: It's <laughs> a really, I oh, it, I
1: was going to, oh, you go.
3: <laughs> in the United States with the neotropicals, you know, the little birds that come up from the Caribbean mm. in the summer, they all feed them. And they say that because of habitat loss, they wouldn't have them if they didn't feed yeah. them. Yeah, yeah. There, yeah. It's,
1: it's very complex. Like, you know, mm. the, there's the part where it's like if everyone fed all these animals, Uh, you know, you've got a problem there. We need to understand, like, the feeding habits of these species a little bit as well as, yes, we're losing habitat as well. So you can understand why a little bit of additional feeding is good. But like what you say, if you move away then that changes something. Hmm. And, you know, this is why it's really important that as a collective, everyone learns about these species a little bit more, that we have parks and gardens that support these plant, these animals. If hmm. we're building houses, you know, there is inclusions that there should actually be... A tree! Sh- a tree. These, they, these, they shouldn't
4: have to rely on humans.
1: That's right. Thinking,
4: it's, oh, I should feed them. Yeah, yeah. And they, it's
1: okay here and there. But if they are reliant upon you and you're gone. It can be really dangerous very, for, very, very, and, for them. And if everyone does it, mm. then we've got a very big problem. But these are very adaptive animals. They've learnt to live with us. So they'll find other ways to eat from us, whether it be from beans mm. as well. But, yeah, you
2: know. Now, Graham from Doncaster has also rung in about passion fruits. Because <laughs> they're Hello, out Graham. everywhere. <laughs>
9: Yeah, that oh, Graham. Graham that Graham, yeah, that, hello. That, yeah, that, that Graham, how are you? <laughs> that
6: Graham.
9: Virginia, uh, what, what one of the guys going to tell you, thanks for your information about the botanical gardens. I'm taking 30 of my bowling friends... Uh, there and taking the opportunity to have that guided to us through the, through the bot- botanical garden. That is a wonderful gardens. thing to hear. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought you'd enjoy that.
2: that. He, <laughs> and I'll just quickly say there is a free guided walk every morning at 10:30, except Mondays. Yes. Go oh, to the cool. gardens and get yeah. a guide.
9: Yeah, it's a great, great, great walk. It's good, 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 good for your mental health. They tell me exactly. <laughs> so the other thing was with the lady with the passion fruit. Uh, I, I, I've had. Difficulty, I, I, I certainly grow them just from se- se- seed, and snails will ring mark both the mm. they, they Snails seem to love the bark of a passion fruit, and they, they'll they ring bark the, uh, the little passion fruit, of course, and it dies on you.
2: Yep. Well, that Good is point. something that we definitely need to know. Thank mm. you very much. But it much, is possible Graham.
3: to raise them from seed, obviously.
9: Yeah. Oh yes, to 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 right. It's uh, not the best 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 story for you, for you if you're public there, but if you have a good feed of passion fruit and and, and the waste that comes out the the other the other end, you you put in your garden and it's covered it with a bit of soil, you're going to get a lot of passion fruit come up. <laughs>
2: there you go.
9: <laughs> That's great.
2: <laughs> Fabulous, Graham. <laughs> okay.
9: Thank Catch you. Catch you later.
2: Thank bye. you very much,
9: Graham. <laughs> Bye-bye. <Okay>. Hey, bye bye. Okay. Bye.
2: Oh, isn't that wonderful? That's great. <laughs> <laughs> we had, um, uh, during the week we had a message from somebody called Philip Tindall who sent us an article that was on the ABC on traditional owners in Western Australia pruning eucalypts in such a way as to gather water. So I'm going to post that, Philip. Mm. I'm going to try and post that on our page because it looks like a... I haven't read it yet, but it looks like a fascinating article. Mm.
3: Yeah, I heard them talk about that on Radio National. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and the trees are very old. Yes. They live oh. for a long time.
2: Hmm. Yes, it sounds like it was quite an extraordinary mm-hmm. thing. So. And we've also had a request for the name of... The Dragonfly book, please. The Complete Field Guide to
1: Dragonflies of Australia... Uh, Again, I'll try and pronounce his name, Um, written by
2: Gunther Thyshinger and John Hawking. Well, John Hawking is easy. And Mm. the first person's name starts with a T-H? No, Gunther, and uh, I'll spell it G-U-N-T-H-E-R,
1: Gunther. Last name Thyshinger, T-H-E-I-S-C-H-I-N-G-E-R. But I'm sure if you just Google the name, the complete field guide to dragonflies of Australia, I'm sure you'll find it. You'll if find if it there's
4: out. more than one of uh, complete field guides to Australian dragonflies, get both of them anyway because it's always good to have a second reference book too. It really counteract. is. <laughs> yeah, yeah yes, don't, don't is. just rely on one book.
2: Yeah, oh, I got let yeah. two or three
4: sources at least. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah.
2: and uh, whether whether that actually will happen, I feel it was. Um, Unlikely that Mm. uh, there'll be more than one
1: But this is very good. It it, it has the larvae stage, and it it'll break down the species. It's fantastic. I'm sure there'll be lots. There's more dragonflies than that too. I know there'll be a second edition. I'm sure.
3: We used to tie flies for the nymphs for for fly fishing. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Very effective.
1: Yeah. Well, a lot of fly fishing is you know they copy the insects that you find. yeah, fly fishing's quite an art, really. Like when they look into the... They, they're people that would really understand aquatic insects. Mm. <laughs> they would,
3: because they replicate them. That's yeah. right. That's right. That's yeah.
1: why they're so beautiful.
3: What yeah. plants did you bring in, Yeah,
1: Craig. I'm like...
3: Oh, look, where do we start? Oh, Bosting. quickly. slipping engines, eye. which my first partner's mother bought me as tube stock when I moved to Alinda. Well, is that yeah. a deciduous radi? It's a deciduous. Yeah, from the Korea. leaves. You can tell yeah. by the leaves, can't you? you yeah. Look at the deciduous radi, mm. and it's like yeah, yeah, oh, that. It is a... the most beautiful, soft pink, and if you if you see it in the sunshine, it's sort of dusted with gold. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like
4: the molluscs can often do that's sometimes. Right. Yeah. yeah, it's,
3: yeah. It's, it's, it's a beautiful rhododendron, mm. and quite difficult to propagate, so you don't see it around. Don't very see it around. much.
4: see yeah. around. Hmm. Yeah. I have to keep an eye out for that. If there's one of those at Forest Glade, and if there
3: isn't, I'm gonna have to get one off you. The slip you it Propagate one. Yeah. Yeah, and r- r- rhododendron valii, which is one that looks like a tropical rhododendron with red bells, and it has quite startling red new growth. Mm. Yeah, in the spring. And so they're quite elongated Tube, uh, tubes on the, the flower tubes. Yeah, yeah, red tubes. Yeah.
2: And with rhododendron, would you be growing them in Melbourne? Um,
3: in pots, some of them. Mm. I, I mean, my my. my Thoughts in Melbourne, you would be better to grow viraya mm. if you want to oh. grow rhododendron. Grow them in tree fern logs. Mm. Mm. Yeah, they're really something for the hills. Yeah, and it's and it's it's so fortunate that we can have them because it's such a tiny area mm. in which they grow. Mm. Yeah.
2: But the variegas will grow in lots of places in oh, Australia. I had variegas
3: in Melbourne. Mm. Yeah, yeah, they grow you well. Can't grow <laughs> you
4: can't grow them up. You can't grow them up There's yeah. one there that's. We had them in the conservatory for a while, and they even in there they're, they're too much of a struggle, and it's you just get like, frost. Yeah, because
3: mm. yeah. yeah, we can grow them quite successfully. Oh, okay, no, no, yeah. no, 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 no.
4: Yeah. they A bit cold up. A bit cold at seven hundred odd metres above yeah. mm. sea mm. level. The <laughs>
3: Bertia Chileensis is flowering in the garden at the moment. Oh yeah. Which is fantastic, and it's the flower spikes are almost two meters. Mm. Mm. They're getting really tall this year, so it it has a white flower, strap leaf plant, fairly short flowering season, but it's nice. So, mm.
2: Libertia must be a Gondwana plant. Yep.
3: Because mm.
2: yep. you have, do you have them in New Zealand? Yep. And you have them in Australia.
3: Yep, and South America. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. I use a native one,
1: Libertia paniculata.
3: Uh huh. Mm. This is this was a freebie from Chilton Seeds, you know when. Are they in the iris family? Yes. 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 Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
4: yeah. I was just looking at the yeah. cause it's got the three petals and everything's yeah. in threes and, um, yeah.
3: I quite like
2: that. And exp- yeah. explain the threes.
4: Oh, it's just one of the one of the traits of the iris family is, you know, if you look at an iris flower, it's got the three falls and the three, <laughs> the, yeah, the three flags and. Yeah. And the stamens and the stigmas are all sort of in uh, split into threes, and the ovaries are split into three. You know, three. Everything's in threes three. in the flower. Um, it's one of the one of the iris traits. It is. Uh, and speaking of mm. irises, you've got the Pacific Coast iris here, which are absolutely stunning. Is Some it? of the the, and they're they're a fun one to play with too. If you yeah. want to play with hybridizing yeah. your own plants, if you want uh, to raise them from
3: seed, yeah. got an astonishing array of colors. Yeah. and yeah. they're really easy to raise from seed. Yeah,
4: and they're generally yeah. really pretty too, aren't they? the, yeah. the uh, color variation in them from bi-colored ones, even just the those old ones that you see around a lot. There's a, a yellow and a rusty sort of orange one, and yep. There's a couple ones that you see old, in old, you know older gardens and things. Um, yeah, they're, they're are really all pretty.
3: hybrids from Enominata, aren't they? From, yeah, I think from so. The yeah, northwest of the United, uh, the United States, Pacific Northwest. But
4: the, then you see the ones you've brought in, and and uh, Pete from White House Nursery breeds them as well. Yeah, and just the colours, the yeah. beautiful golds and and purples and whites with with black purple edges and huge range um, of colours. Huge, huge range of colours. They're yeah. absolutely stunning. Yeah, and and you're saying that the flowering time is quite long too. For an iris. For an iris. Yep.
2: <laughs> well, we are coming to the end of our show. Oh. It's 9-11, and I wanted to say goodbye to our listeners. Thank you for listening. Obviously, some of you have enjoyed today's show. Mm. Goodbye to the panel. Oh, quick. Thanks, Virginia. Thank, Thank you, Judy. Virginia. And, and to say next week, Chloe is on with John Arnott, Claire Hart and Chris Williams. So I think that will be an excellent show next week. Mm-hmm. And next week there are two gardens in in the up by the Yarra Valley, one in Lilydale, and one in Gruyere, And then two, one on Sunday and Monday in uh, Wong, I think it's Wonga Park mm. or Warrenwood. So have a look at Open Gardens Victoria for where they're where they're going to be. And it's a long weekend, so if you don't like the footy, which I don't. But it'll mm. <laughs> be. What, 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 what what's footy yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's why. Isn't that why we were talking about magpies all day? Yeah. <laughs> we were talking about magpies a lot today. We've got
1: a public holiday, you know, every day. If you're not I what, did
2: think what would happen to our public holiday if both the teams were from out of Melbourne? No, is that is that what's happening? No, it's oh, not. Okay. What's <laughs> okay. I've got no idea either. Right <laughs> oh, it was something that was possible. To oh, happen. okay. Yes, there you go. Yes. And um, if you're not doing anything today, it is an excellent idea to think about going up to Yay because mm-hmm. there will be some open gardens attached with the Yay show. Mm-hmm. Um, ben from Treasure Perennials is up there definitely and mm-hmm. there'll be other ones. Pete from
4: White House Nursery, I was just mentioning, with the Pacific yes. Coast Iris, he, he, he's got a stall up there too, I think.
2: Yeah, it's, it's always an absolutely excellent place to go. Mm-hmm. So I, and a nice drive. A
3: beautiful yeah, drive.
2: Yeah. yeah, it's very nice. And it's a nice town, Yay. Beautiful. Mm. So it's something that's well well worth thinking about. Mm. We've got some um, some one and then of course we've got Mount Macedon and mm. then in November we've got uh, the Yarra Valley Plant Fair. These plant fairs are fabulous, I think. I love them. Yeah, me too. Yeah, and it's the one place where you can well no that's a lie. It's one of the places where you can find some unusual things. The the non Bunnings yep. plants. If oh. you don't go to Craig or yep. Stephen, the non or, or Pete from White House or, mm, or Jane. Or oh, Jane, Jane. Jane. Yeah. you've got to go to the yeah those mm. shows. They're
4: and and those um, people often, uh, a lot of those people are often at those too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you go to them and, not and Stephen lazy. usually doesn't. <laughs> but uh, if not but lady, Jane and, and work too <laughs> much.
2: <laughs> anyway, goodbye everybody, and I hope you've enjoyed our show.